Good morning to each one of you, and it is so special for Priyanka and I to be here. First Colony has quickly become a very dear place in our hearts. It's because of your love, your communication in between um, our times here, the way you care about the work uh, towards Bangladesh, I should say, and also impacting Bangladesh, and uh, just the way you receive our family. And so it's not lightly that we say that, and you can go behind my back and ask my wife if I say that at every place we go. And she'll say, no, he doesn't. Not that we don't love God's people everywhere. We do. But I just said First Colony has a special place in our hearts. And that is very true. Um, so just want to say thank you. Now, I'm someone who likes to, two things. One, shoot straight, because I don't think we necessarily have enough time in life to go around the bush a lot. And the second thing is this. I like to give warnings. And today, you already saw the title being Wake Up. Now, I hope physically I don't have to do that to anybody this morning, but if I do, I will. That's not a problem. So you sleep physically, I'll wake you up that way too. That's the easy one. You think I'm joking. That's not a joke. That was just a promise. So if you sleep, I come and wake you up. Got it? Cool. But spiritually, I can't. Holy Spirit can, but I can't. And this is the more difficult one. But I want to just give you a little bit of background to understand what is going to happen when the Spirit of God wakes us up because it's important you know beforehand or else you might be offended when, the, when God does it. I can't do it. Remember, I can't do it. So if it happens, it's not me. It's God. You see, when you get woken up, most of us are not the friendliest, kindest individuals when we're woken up. Even when our alarm clock does it, an inanimate object, we still don't like it. And we really don't like it when uh, somebody does it to us. I mean, you know it. If you have kids, you definitely know it. Haven does not like to be woken up until she's ready to wake up on her own terms. Uh, same thing is very much true for um, many of us adults. But I will say this. I've had some very sudden wake-ups in my life. I'm not going to go through and tell you the stories just because I don't think it's necessarily the best use of time. I'll give you one to just put a vivid image in your mind. I was on an airplane, Tap Air Portugal, um, from Dekar to Lisbon, Portugal. And I'm there, and I'm sleeping just as the flight. It's like a midnight to 6 a.m. flight, and I'm just hoping I can sleep the whole flight. Well, I knew immediately I was next to a traveler that did not necessarily have a lot of travel experience because there were three empty seats on the other side, an empty seat next to us, but she took the middle seat right next to me, so I know right away she's not moving, so something's up here. And then I, I realized she was really nervous because the second the plane started to take off, she takes her hand and she slaps it into my upper thigh and just begins to squeeze. And when I say squeeze, if I actually showed you, you would let out a sound. Now, I was sleeping... And at that point, I had a very interesting and awkward decision to make, and that was, was I going to respond to this lady I don't know squeezing my thigh really hard, or am I just going to... And I thought, the best bet here is let's just pretend like we're still sleeping. <laughs> and I did, and it was hard. It was a painful situation, and it was an awkward situation, but I was like, this just is worse if I act like I'm awake. Uh, but let's just say I didn't feel like being woken up that way. Well, this morning, spiritually, I, I, I'm not being melodramatic. You can tell me at the end if I was being melodramatic. I don't think I'm being melodramatic to say that some of the things we are going to touch on are going to maybe hit a sensitive spot. I just want to let you know beforehand. Now, you can stone the messenger, and that's fine, because that's really not the big deal. But please, while you're picking up a stone, ask one question. Does the Word of God say so? 
is it accurate with what God has said? Because I guarantee you, I don't go anywhere to earn approval of men. And nor am I going to try to do that this morning. I will seek to be a faithful communicator of God's word. We'll ask questions based on it. And we'll leave it at that. And my prayer is the Holy Spirit will have his way in each one of our lives. So with that being said, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. To the book of Jonah chapter 1. And as you're turning there, Jonah's a very interesting prophet because most prophets of the Old Testament, the primary focus of their book is prophecy. But with Jonah, there's really only five words of prophecy in Hebrew. If you count the English, I think there's like eight, depending on your translation. So it's really not about prophecy. It's about the prophet himself. And we're not going to get very far into the book. We're just going to hang out in chapter 1. But in chapter 1, we're going to see a wake-up scenario take place. And I want to just ask a few questions, and some of the questions will be, well, why are we sleeping? And Lord willing, we'll look at three ways that we're sleeping just like Jonah was sleeping. And then after we ask, why are we sleeping? Well, then we're going to ask, what can we do about it? And we're going to realize there's a few options of what we can do about it. And then we're going to end with why it's absolutely essential that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you must, you must, you must wake up. And we'll get to that right, Lord willing, as we close things out. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah's name means dove. He doesn't act like one, but dove the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the people were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew 
that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. This is the word of the Lord, and I know I didn't get to anything conclusive in the story. I'm breaking it right in the middle. You can finish it later. But that's enough ammunition for us this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you do what only you can do, and that is open your word to us. Just as the eyes of those two individuals on the road to Emmaus were opened in the breaking of the bread, I pray this morning that our eyes would be opened in the breaking of your word, the one who is the bread of life. And Father, we ask a few other things. We ask that if I say anything which is not guided by you, oh God, that is not my desire. I pray that you would have mercy and block our minds from just even hearing it. But whatever is of you, allow it to be heard and allow it to be received on good ground. And God, I pray that even for those things that we don't like to hear because we're so engulfed in uh, political uh, bubbles or perhaps ideologies or comfort zones, break it if you want to break it. And Lord, I ask one more thing, and that is that when we leave this place, may only Jesus get the glory. He's the only one who's worthy. I pray this in that precious name. Amen. Well, as we look at just this idea of waking up, um, I want to ask the simple question, why is Jonah sleeping? And maybe more importantly, why are we sleeping? Now, obviously, I'm not talking physically. Why he was sleeping physically? He may have just been drained from all of his running from God. That is a draining activity if you've ever tried it. There's also other possibilities. Maybe it's just the stress that was on him. I don't know, but I don't want to talk about physically why he was sleeping. That's totally inconsequential. The point is, he's sleeping spiritually. And we know we're sleeping spiritually when we have ill-directive movements. In other words, uh, think about somebody who's sleepwalking. I was a sleepwalker as a kid. In fact, such a bad sleepwalker, my parents had to literally put an extra lock on the door, hide the key, because I would try to leave the house at night to go buy bread for breakfast and other random things. And, and again, it, it was just something I didn't know I was doing. But I think about how many Christians are sleepwalking. We're just going through life, going through activities, but almost without intention. So what? So what with the way we're living life? Is that all God has called us to? Just a protective environment of maintaining the status quo and keeping ourselves alive? Well, I'll go and give you the tidbit. If that's your goal, you're going to fail because you're going to die. So good, you made it to 80, you still lost. I'm not being rude or unkind or sarcastic. I'm being honest. If that's what you're living for, you are a sleepwalking Christian with no direction in life. That's not what God's called us to. Not to maintain the status quo. We're going to find out we're on mission. <laughs> we're all on mission. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's the one that puts you on mission. We'll get to that a little later. Uh, there, there's, there's other ways we can know we're sleeping. <laughs> Have you ever, like, touched someone on the shoulder when they're sleeping and they don't respond? I'm going to tell you something really sad. I'm not going to focus on it because there's no reason to focus on it because why am I going to focus on those that are sleeping and not going to wake up? So listen. 
Some of you are so sleepy and you're not going to hear anything said this morning. I'm done because you're already sleeping, so there's no reason to keep going with that. But you know there's a lot. Pray for them. Pray for believers that are sitting right here this morning that are sleeping and they're not even willing to be woken up. I pray for my own heart that I'll be willing because I've got to be the first one to respond to this message. Please know when I leave here, I'm not thinking of any of you. I'm thinking of my own response before the Lord and then that of my family. Let's go, though. Why was he sleeping? Three things I want to suggest to you. I'm sure there's many more reasons, but let's give three. The first uh, thing that we see concerning his sleeping is his authority is off. His authority is off. What do I mean by authority? Well, how does the book start out? The word of the Lord said to Jonah. That's all. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord said. Now, in all, in all uh, reality, if we're truly following Jesus Christ, if he truly is Lord of our life, then it doesn't really matter what comes next, does it? If it says the word of the Lord said to Jonah, you say, okay, whatever comes next, whether I like it or whether I don't, I'm doing it. But you know, it's interesting because authority itself is something that we like to buck against in, uh, we're in the United States right now, so if I pick on the U.S., it's only because we're here, okay? Again, I would pick on Canada if we were there or anywhere else if we were there. Uh, but the point is, we're here. We love in this country a word called independence. Let me tell you right now, you cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ and be independent. You have to take off the in and just be dependent. We're all about dependence in the local church. Dependence upon the strength of Christ. Dependence upon the direction of Christ. Dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're not dependent on him, if you're independent, you can guarantee that Jesus Christ is not Lord of your life. He's a good idea, maybe a nice teacher, but he's not Lord. Because what happens when the word of the Lord says something, we're not meant to pray about it, we're meant to obey it. Yeah, we can pray about what does it mean, we can pray about the specifics, but we're not praying about whether or not to do it. If we pray about what God's already said, what we're indicating ultimately is that there's still a decision to make. So... One aspect of this is authority. Oh, this is ingrained into our lives. I could give a lot of examples of this. Um, I, I won't for the sake of time again, but let me give you a couple. How about this? Uh, our, our kids, man, oh, wow. We feed our children. Please, I'm not preaching against Disney. I actually worked for them for a few months of my life. But anyway, uh, we ingrained it even in our own homes with the things that we, that we put on for our children. How about that like, most popular song of the last decade on Disney, right? Let it go with Frozen. What are the lyrics from Elsa? It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Oh, wow. I'm glad we're putting that in our homes. Phenomenal advice to teach our children. Hold it against me if you want. I'm not a Disney hater, but I'm that song hater, if I can say it like that. That's wickedness. It's wrong. It's a lie. And if your kids obey it, it'll damn them. Am I saying too strong of language, or am I being honest? Oh, I could give you other ones. Try Simba with I just can't wait to be king. I'll skip you the lyrics. You can look it up later. Same ideology. Or, or let's go to, to maybe some others. A recent president had this at his inauguration, Frank Sinatra's theology. And now the end is here, and so I face the final curtain. 
My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. <laughs> I've lived a life, life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway and more and much, much more than this. I did it my way. For what is a man? What has he got if not himself? Then he is not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. And not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, it was my way. I could go on. This is too easy. This is, like, as far as finding illustrations on this, again, literally, this is just culture. But it's about our way. The first way we're going to fall asleep spiritually is as soon as we start to take the words of God as suggestion instead of absolute. And so Jonah's sleeping. Because why? God's already said what to do. It's not that complicated. Go to Nineveh. It's hard, really hard. We'll talk about that in a minute. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and crowd against it for their evil has come up before me. I mean, it's not ambiguous, right? And so what does he do? He goes the opposite way and gets in a boat and heads to the other side of the world. Tarshish was like, uh, uh, we don't exactly know the location. We think it's like southern Spain area. But the, the point is, it was the opposite side of the known world at the time. So let's keep going, though. That's one way. Another possibility is not just a, a bucking of authority. It would be the word apathy. Apathy. Now, we all need a working definition of apathy, or else we might be thinking different things. So here it is. If you're taking notes, and I love seeing people take notes, and I can say a solid seven of you are doing it. So good job to those seven. The rest of you, Hey, I understand. I have a two-year-old. Believe me, one of us is guaranteed not to be taking notes in a meeting. But otherwise, just memorize it, okay? Here we go. Apathy. Lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Apathy. Lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Oh, wow. Apathy is without a doubt the pandemic in the church today Far more dangerous than COVID ever was. I just wish there were vaccinations and masks and six feet distance and whatnot to somehow protect Christians from apathy. But we do not care as a whole about the things that God cares for. In a minute, I'll just remind you how we don't care. I didn't say you don't care. I said we don't care. I can guarantee it. This is not something I'm suggesting. Some things I suggest in messages, other things I can say. This is one thing I can say. Praise God that it's not true of everyone, and praise God it's definitely not true of everyone at First Colony because I've seen some of the ways you care. So if you say, man, you're just generalizing. No, no, I'm saying the blanket. Well, we'll talk about that in just a minute. But first, let's talk about how Jonah showed apathy, and then we'll get to how we show apathy. First, Jonah. It's always nice to start with other people, right? I mean, are you thankful for Jonah? You're like, let's look at Jonah. But we're going to have to take our eyes off of Jonah after a while here, because uh, frankly, um, I'm, I'm far worse than him. So Jonah, what's the first thing? Verse 2, God says, go crowd against this great city. Their evils come up before me. Now, I'm not going to go into Nineveh. I think most of you know what Nineveh is like. If you don't, go to Nahum chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. And that's actually 100 years after Jonah. So that was after a nice uh, repentance and all this kind of stuff. And then you see how wicked they were then. I actually cannot tell you exactly what they did because it's really not appropriate for uh, 
some of the younger ears to hear. It's really not even appropriate for some of us older. Um, just know that it's, if you don't believe me, then just ask. I'll give you some references. But if you just want to do your own research, too, you can do it. It's not hard to find. Nineveh did things that, frankly, uh, they make the Taliban look like Mother Teresa. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm actually serious. With that said, let's, let, let's, let's think about what was the first thing he did. He showed, he showed very much this uh, concentration on other people's condemnation. In other words, you know what he said? They deserve it. They deserve what they have coming to them. Remember our definition of apathy. Lack of concern, interest, enthusiasm. In other words, when they looked at what those people were doing, they didn't care. He didn't care. They just need to be destroyed. I remember when I wanted to move to the Middle East right after, right before graduating high, uh, university, and I was talking to one individual in a local church, and he said, you don't need to go to the Middle East. They just need an atomic bomb dropped on them. This is in the church. I understand that coming from a pagan world. But the reality is maybe we have apathy instead of hatred. By the way, apathy is hatred in another form. And what do I mean by that? Well, we just don't care. We don't care about the fact that Nineveh is dying. We don't care about the fact that God sees their evil and he says, go cry out against them. We don't care they're going to be destroyed. And I think it's far too easy to make that application for our own world today. But we'll wait a minute. We'll come back to it. A second way that Jonah did this was in verse 5. Notice, he goes down to Joppa. He goes down to this boat. He goes down into the boat. And then he goes down into sleep. So in verse 5, where does the, the captain find him? Well, he finds him in the inner part of the ship where he had lain down and was fast asleep. First, he concentrated on other people's condemnation, but now he is concerned about his own comfort. In other words, here in the middle of a dying world, in the middle of a, a, a call from God to go and warn, where is Jonah's focus? Well, it's not just on their condemnation. Nah, they deserve it. It's on his own comfort. It's making sure he has his own comfortable spot. In the reality, with the reality that our world is perishing, actually perishing, in the reality that hell is real and that a relationship with God is possible, in the reality that you have two international airports in town, let alone access to your neighbors across the street, in the reality that nobody's blocking us from going to the lost, can we say that many of us are addicted far more to comfort than obedience? I don't think, I know I, I have to say it. I would be a blatant liar and absolutely hypocritical if I said somehow I cared more more about souls on a moment-by-moment -moment basis than about my own needs. Oh, the wickedness of my heart. Aren't we thankful for the grace of God? But the grace of God is not in vain either. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? We might think of that as some kind of like church sin. No, no, this is wicked. So let's go on. There's a third thing. He doesn't just show concentration on other people's condemnation. He doesn't just show lack of concern for others and concern more about his own comfort, but notice he shows contempt for God's character. How does he do it? Look at verse 9. Again, I'm kind of jumping, but we'll come back a little bit here in a minute. 
I just want you to see one. We're going to come back to verse 9, so I'm not going to say much about it. But it says, he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. What did he literally just say? He says, I fear the Lord. Wait, 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 wait. Who? The guy that just ran from the Lord. He's telling them he's running from the Lord. He's sleeping in the middle of a storm. He doesn't care about the lives of sailors. He doesn't care about the lives of Nineveh. And what's he doing? He's throwing the name of God into the mix. The reality is that we do this too. We don't, we don't show a deep concern for the character of God. In fact, we show contempt for the name of God by using his name like Jonah does, while actively living a life of disobedience. No, no, you, you might say actively living a life of disobedience. Well, I mean, we have passages like Matthew 6 in our Bible. It's there. It's, it hasn't changed. I think it's still there. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And how about skip all the way down to verse 33 of that same chapter. But seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. So I take care of you. Don't worry about that. Seek my kingdom. But we throw his name in the mix, and then people look at our lives, and, and oh, well, it's, it's nice you believe in that, but it doesn't change that much. And the reality is they're, they're probably correct in the way that oftentimes it looks in our lives. Contempt for God's character. See, as we think about those two things before we get to the third thing, which is affection, I, I just want to paint the picture of our world, because what's happening in Jonah's story at this point? Well, there's a storm. There's a storm, this massive storm, which is threatening not only to break up the ship, but it's threatening to take the lives of all the sailors involved. Everybody's at risk. Now, now please uh, understand this point in the proper theological uh, application because it can quickly get stretched. But sometimes the storms of life, or let's say our acts of disobedience, really affect others around us. I just want us to see that. Sometimes our acts of disobedience to God's word will affect the lives of those around us. Now, I, this is what I have to give you a warning on. Don't take it too far. Every soul, when they stand before God, they can't say, well, J.R. didn't share the gospel with me. That, they, they can't, that, that's not going to work. That's not the point. But do we recognize that our acts of disobedience do include others? Have you not seen that in family after family after family? Uh, of sin that comes into one member of the family and the whole family is affected. It's just very simple. For, but, but what about the sin of apathy? What about the, okay, let, let me give you a little illustration with Haven. It's interesting one question that we get probably more often than any other question as it pertains to Bangladesh. And I get it, Bangladesh, you know, Afghanistan's over here, Myanmar's here, and then China's above, and you've got India and, and the chaos of the northern part, and then you've got Pakistan between. It's a nice little st stability, right? It's like, okay, so people ask the question, like, what is it to take your daughter, like, are, is it safe to take your daughter to Bangladesh? And that's the most common question we get. We get a lot of other wonderful questions, but I, I just want to be reminded, where does the word of God ever tell us to be safe? We're told to be obedient. So let's go back to Jonah as a case study. 
Where did God say in verse 2, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for its evil has come before me, and I will keep you safe. He doesn't. It's not there. In fact, my Jesus says something drastically different. In fact, he doesn't suggest it might not be safe. He promises there's a cross involved. And a cross, well, a cross means you're on your way to die. There's nothing ambiguous about it. So what we need to understand is we're not called to live safe lives. I didn't say, please quote me properly. I didn't say we're not called to be wise. Live in wisdom, but don't pursue safety as your ultimate objective, or you can guarantee the cross is not taken up. Again, it's just straightforward. This is like, this is like a just simple message. I'm basically just telling you what Jesus said again. I want to encourage your hearts. We have gotten in defense mode in the United States. We've seriously gotten defense mode, and that's why we say, wake up! Get out of defense mode. Stop huddling, protecting ourselves when the world is dying. If we don't take the gospel, who will? So great, you don't get COVID until you die. But you die. Did the gospel go to the nations? Did the gospel go across? The, are we gonna, wait, 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 wait. Are we going to stop hospitality now? Are we going to stop having people in our home because it's not safe? Oh, so please do what Thomas Jefferson did. Rip out portions of your Bible. Do it. Go ahead. When you get home, get your blade. Cut them out. They're in there. We don't stop obedience. I didn't say you have to stop wearing a mask or don't get a That's not what I said. But you better be hospitable because it's in there. We need to be reaching out because it's in there. I'm, I told you, waking up's not fun. Have an uh, ice cold water dumped on your head when you're sleeping. No one enjoys it. But the question is not whether you like it. The question is, is it true? That's all. We've got to wait. If we don't wake up, who's going who's gonna to go? Who? Who's going to obey? If we as followers of Jesus Christ are not going to be obedient to the words of Christ, now here's the good news. God can use a pagan captain to say the exact same thing he said in verse 2. Did you notice that? He repeats his words through the lips of a pagan captain. Arise, you sleeper. God said, arise. Same word. So the good news is this. He can use anybody. He doesn't need us. But he wants us. My friends, the situation in our world is dire. And I don't have to give you any explanation about that. But I want to give you a little picture that I thought of this week. Yeah, I don't know which channel I was watching, but it was on Delta Airlines. I spent four of the last four, four days this week that was like traveling across the country somewhere. And so one of those times I was watching the news, and it was all about Afghanistan. You know, somebody was interviewing a soldier. It's very interesting. And they were talking about how sickening it was to watch the Taliban using the cars, the weapons, the resources of the United States now for their own thing that they had to abandon and leave behind. And then I thought, yeah, it is kind of sickening, right? Using what was meant for good now to be used for evil. I get that. That's sickening, but hang on. What about your time and your talents and your resources? 
We're like a bunch of Taliban fighters driving the equipment of the Almighty around. Our bodies, our voices, our feet, our hands, our things, and using them for ourselves when they were never created for that intent. I know you're going to go home and say, he called us the Taliban. Not quite. <laughs> I just said we're acting like them in the way we're using resources. We're using for ourselves, or even at times for sin, what God meant for his eternal kingdom. Now, I hope you didn't forget. I'll remind you. I'm preaching to myself. <laughs> I know you thought I was talking to someone else. I'm talking to myself. Literally. I leave here, and I will have to pray over. I will have to repent. So take it as the Lord gives it to you. But I'm responsible in the same way. So we have apathy. We have authority. There's a third thing. The third thing is this. I won't touch on it long, but there's affection. Affection is at stake. And affection will affect how we, how we wake up. Because remember, when they ask in verse 8, what is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? What's the first thing he says? He says, I'm a Hebrew. And then he says, I fear the Lord God. Oh, the order is important because your ultimate affection will control your trajectory of life. Your ultimate affection will control the decisions. If your ultimate affection is protection, then it's going to affect the way you do everything else. It'll affect who you have in your home. It'll affect what you do and what you don't do. It'll, okay? If my affection is my nation above my God, I'm a Hebrew. Well, what starts to happen? We start to view souls through the lens of nationalism instead of through the lens of Calvary. Now, again, please understand, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for health. I'm thankful for the United States of America. I'm thankful for the life God's given me. I am thankful, genuinely. I have in my prayer list the leaders of this nation to pray over. Like, I don't want to get you wrong. That I don't want you to understand wrong that, that somehow I'm just saying this doesn't matter. What I am saying is your ultimate affection will control your trajectory of life. Is your ultimate affection the Lord Jesus Christ? I think almost all of us would say we want it to be. So let's know his heart. Let's find joy and pleasure in complete obedience even when it fights against the other things that we're kind of holding dear right now. And let's say, Lord, I surrender. So our time is getting short. But with the affection aspect, I would love to go further. I'm not going to, but I encourage you kind of look more into your heart and ask some questions of really, where is your affection? And there are some great questions we could ask ourselves, but, um, but we'll save that for another time. I want to go to talking just briefly about what we can do. We said wake up. We could have called this God's alarm clock. But I want to kind of suggest to you there's four things. We all have four responses this morning. Now, one of them, I'm not going to focus on long because, again, you're going to see it's kind of worthless to focus on it because that will be the demographic that doesn't um, hear. But the first thing we can do is this. We can hear the message this morning, and we can shut off the alarm clock, right? We can all shut off the alarm clock. 
And what do we mean by shut up, shut up the alarm clock? It just means indifference. That was a good message. I, this is not a good message. I'm just going to go and let that out right now. This is not a good message. It's either a true message or it's a false message, but it's not a good message. Uh, I love you, and if you accidentally say to me, hey, thanks for the good message, you're forgiven. I'm not being legalistic, but the point being is this is not a good message. It's one or the other. But we can shut it off. We can show indifference. Another thing that we could do is we can click the snooze option. Now, the snooze option is, <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a good message, but not today. Or, I'll get to that. I think it's actually important. But after I finish what I'm already doing, or after the pandemic is over, because no more souls are going to go into eternity during the pandemic, um, after my child grows up, after I make sure my kids get all the opportunities that right now I want them to get in this country, after my grandkids first move away from me because I'm not moving away from them. After our neighbors start to act a little kinder to us. After, you fill in the blank, after whatever you want to be after, snooze. Remind me later, God. Remember, obedience never starts tomorrow. Never, never, never. Obedience is only something which happens today. So the question is, what will we do with this? For some of us, it might be going home and, you know what? Pulling out a journal and sitting before the Lord or with our family and saying, let's ask God, start opening our eyes. Who, do, who are we to serve? Where are we allowing our affections to be in other things? Where are we apathetic and not caring about the fact that 42% of our world has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, in, I talked about Bangladesh a lot with you all, and it's because I'm passionate about it, but can you imagine Bangladesh, a country of a hundred and, well, I'll get the lowest number I can give, so you can't ever say I was exaggerating. It's way higher than this. 165 million people in an area smaller than the state of Georgia? That means the U.S. would have over 11 billion people, okay, if you were populated the same way as Bangladesh. And get this, in Greenville, South Carolina, where I currently live, within 30 minutes of my house, there are 475 evangelical churches. And I'm pretty sure you have that on that one street that we drove down. But anyway, 475 evangelical churches within 30 minutes of my house. And, and I don't really know how many there are because the one I go to isn't even counted, and it is evangelical. It's an assembly just like this. Anyway, the point being is that I can go to Bangladesh and move to an area of 5 million people, 5 million, and there's not one Baptist church, there's not one Brethren church, there's not one Pentecostal church, none. And this isn't my stats, this is like the church coming together and identifying where is any activity in the country. There are 10 to 12 known believers in the entire area of 5 million people in one part of Bangladesh. You think we could say there's a, a lack of enthusiasm, care, or interest? <laughs> uh, we don't need to say it. It's been said. Should, should, should we say it because this country alone spends more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than the entire church does to reach the unreached? No, we don't need to say it. Why? Because our wallets have already said it. Go on. The point is that there's apathy. There's a lack of affection for the Lord Jesus. And there's not the authority that we see from his word. Or there is the authority of his word, but there's not the adherence to that authority. So I said snooze. The third thing is this. And, and I've been told I stop at, oh, at 12. So if I'm wrong, 
then I can stop like in three minutes. But otherwise, I just want to put everyone at ease if you're like, he's gone over, or maybe I've gone under. I don't know. But I'm stopping in 10 minutes, so you can all just rest in knowing what's happening from this brain. Um, the third thing is this. Yeah, you can snooze. Yeah, you can shut it off. The third thing is you can sleep on. What do I mean by that? <laughs> Let it ring and ring and ring and ring. You're not saying later. You're just not doing anything. You're just, it's not, you're not indifferent. It's just going off. Now, uh, there's stories of indifference. I remember once I was in the Louvre Museum on a layover in Paris, right? But probably a lot of you have been to the Louvre before. And it's, there's lots of paintings and, and di various forms of artwork. But there's the Mona Lisa there, right? This really unimpressive, small little painting. Um, it, it's uh, impressive in the work. I'm just saying the size is not impressive, right? Like, and so all these people are, are, are gathered around it. I wasn't going to fight the crowds. I was looking at it from a distance. Um, which meant it looked like a pixel. And as I'm looking at it, all of a sudden in the whole building, it's like beep, beep, beep. And this alarm goes off and they start saying in like French, English, and Russian, like uh, uh, evacuate the building immediately. Da -da 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 -da. And then in French, you know, evacuate the building and they keep going. And here's the crazy thing. I tell you, this is exactly what happened. Not one person, not one, I looked. I mean, I was like searching for that one. Not one person responded, not one. They all just kept looking at artwork. And, and for a while, I was like, wait, am I the only one hearing this? I was like, no, it's like loud. And it went on and on. I don't know how many times I played through all three languages. And, and finally, I just realized they all assume it's a false alarm. And I, I'm sure it was, because I didn't leave either. <laughs> but you know, even my response is really a good illustration of apathy. Because oftentimes I think we look around at the urgency of others and we say, okay, it's not that urgent. Wake up. Just because 95% of First Colony won't respond to waking up to the reality of the shortness of time, what will you do? What will I do? That's the question. Not what others will do. And so we can... Click the snooze button, or we can sleep on. But there's a final thing we can do. <laughs> and what's that final thing we can do? I think you all already know. And that is that we can start our day. We can get up. We can repent of our apathy. We can repent of misplaced affections. We can repent of authority which has not been the word of God in our life. And we can say, Lord, I'm not sure exactly what the journey looks like. Say with Jehoshaphat and in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. That's a good starting point. You don't have to know all the actions. Just know the one to whom you're going to listen. Turn to him. Give him time to talk to you, to your family. But start with repentance. Maybe make a list of all the areas where other affections have come first. Make a list of Bible verses you're blatantly disobeying right now. Go ahead. It's quite the practice. And it's also quite the life because the Lord will start leading you in ways you never imagined. But let me ask you a closing question. Why wake up? Why should you? You like life the way it is, right? Why, why should you wake up? Is there any real urgency to waking up? I want to suggest three things to you of why you need to wake up. First is this. There's hostility going on. You are in an intense spiritual war. And what you don't know is that in many of our lives, 
The enemy has sprayed spiritual Novocaine on you. The enemy has just allowed you to think you're in a peaceful area when you're not. I would love to do an entire week of meetings on spiritual warfare and show you how absolutely under attack the United States and our world is. I'm talking demonic attack. I'm talking every form of just spiritual infiltration of lies that are going on. Friends, we've got to be recognizing a soldier never puts on his gear and goes out to the battlefield and pulls out a lawn chair, gets a glass of lemonade, and just hangs out. That doesn't happen. You know why? Because they know that there's an enemy prowling, looking for whom they might devour. This is not to cause any fear in your hearts, because I have good news. Greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. If Christ be for us, who can be against us? Rejoice. I already know who won the war, but there is hostility going on. We must realize the enemy is seeking to kill. John chapter 10. It's hostility. The second thing that we know is this. There's not just hostility. There's a harvest. It's time for harvest. It's time to see souls brought into the family of God, to see souls saved. Just think about the countless Bangladeshis. And let me just say, I'm speaking to the choir here. You're part of this journey to Bangladesh. You care. You care so much. And I love that just warms Priyankana's heart just to know you care. And the emails you send or the WhatsApp messages you send and just reminding me of, of, of how you care and how you're praying and how are you going to send another update. Thank you for caring. May we care about the person next to us. May we care about the person in line. May we just care. May we care about the fact that there's empty seats at our table. May we care about what God's given us and that we need to use. There is a harvest. There's hostility, but there's a harvest. And the final thing is this. There's not just hostility and harvest. My friends, stay with me. I've got one sleeper back there, but I'll give him grace for just a minute. The final thing is this. The final thing is this. There's a home. Friends, I don't know how better to say it than this. Abel, one day soon, you're going to look into the face of Jesus Christ. You're going to look at Christ face to face. And I will too. And, And I love him. But what will my thoughts be of earth? What will my thoughts be of how I handled the hostility and the harvest when I get home? Will I be like Jonah sleeping in the bottom of a boat when there's a storm in our world? Or will I allow God to even speak through pagan captains or loud preachers or in the quiet moments in my closet? And say, Nathan, please wake up. I created you for more than just to survive. I created you for more than just comfort. I created you to be my witness. And to go into all the world and to testify my love. Oh, and you know how they're going to know? They're going to know by your love for one another. That's how they're going to know. Friends, 
I can say, I'll close here. I want to say what Paul said to the church in Rome. In Romans, Romans chapter 13. If you'll just turn there quickly, this is where I'm closing. In my final minute and a half. Romans 13, verse 11. It says this. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Time to get up. My daughter's literally sleeping right now, so by singing this one line, I'll just sing it quietly. <laughs> but we sing, rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. And we sing something very specific for Haven next. <laughs> I think that's what the Lord's singing. He's not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He's not slapping you to wake up. He's lovingly coming by your side. And he's saying, I've created you for more. It's time to wake up. Rise and shine. Give God the glory. Give God the glory. There's hostility. There's a harvest. And very soon, there's a home. And we're going if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't know the Lord Jesus this morning, please come talk to me because you might be like one of those sailors about to be destroyed. I'm pleading for the church to get more serious, to love you by warning you, whoever you are. But know that there's a Savior who's done everything that you might eternally be with him. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you've never accepted him as your Savior, maybe you've heard about him for years, please make sure you make your decision because there's only two choices to make. There's yes to who he is and what he's done, or there's a rejection of it. And the choice is eternal. It's high time to wake from sleep. So what does it say next? Verse 12. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Look at verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's pray. Father in heaven, my prayer this morning is first that whatever I said would just run through the filter of your love and graciousness. I know I can get passionate about things, but Father, may nothing get lost in passion, but may it all just come through as, is this from you? And if it is, Lord, give us humble hearts to respond. I pray for myself. I pray, Lord, that I would wake up. And the problem is, is I don't necessarily know where I'm sleeping, and that's why I'm sleeping. So, Lord, I'm asking for you to have mercy and just wake us up. And I'm thankful that you wake us up in a patient way, not to everything at once, but to the next step. So, Lord, I pray that wherever anyone is sleeping, that they wouldn't feel that you're attacking or targeting them. They would feel so loved that you would convict them. Because you convict your children so they might be changed. You don't condemn your children because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So Lord, please wake us up and receive all the glory. This we pray in the very, very precious name of our Lord, our Savior, and our very soon coming bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Amen.